The Catholic Church has an ancient tradition of uh, participating in the Stations of the Cross, especially on Fridays during Lent. This goes all the way back uh, to, to the 4th century, and even Constantine's mother, uh, going uh, to, to the Holy Land to, to trace the steps of Jesus. And this devotion became even more uh, popular uh, in the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries. But during that time as well, we know that the Crusades were happening. It was dangerous to go to the Holy Land. And so I believe it was uh, St. Francis, uh, it was either him or another saint, it must have definitely been a saint, who recommended that we also put stations inside of churches. And so that's why every church you go in, we're going to have the 14 stations of, of the cross. And here at St. John the Baptist, we, we do the stations at 5.30 on Fridays during that. We have one left this upcoming uh, Friday, so I encourage you please to come. And as you participate in, in those stations, what you're going to realize is all the ways that God loves us. You know, this year as we were preparing for the first stations uh, of the cross, uh, the fish fry was happening as well. And so I went over and, and started to help out a little bit, and by that it means I go and talk to people and do absolutely nothing because I'm not much help, and I kind of discourage, like, distract people, I realize, as well, but it's all about relationships, right? Uh, and as I was building up those, those relationships, I was talking to a parishioner, and she asked me, Father, are you going to be sticking on the fish? I said, no, I have to go over uh, and lead the stations of the cross. And I said, I said to her, I said, you know, it's actually kind of hard. Uh, the stations of the cross, you know, my knee starts to hurt, my hip hurts the next morning, I wake up, I'm, I'm really sore. And she simply looked at me and she says, do you want me to feel sorry for you? And it hit me right then and there. Here I, and, and praise God she said this, by the way, like, thank you so much for saying that because it shocked my system to realize here I am complaining about leading the stations of the cross, and I'm a little bit of pain in there, and I forgot all that Jesus did and does for me and for all of us. And so as I led the stations of the cross that night, the pain that I had was, was really nothing when I put it all in perspective. It was actually less than normal because all of a sudden I was realizing, look, what God does for me. And look what he does for us. Even this is past week, uh, this past Sunday, as we were reflecting uh, on John chapter 3 and Jesus saying, the Son of Man must be lifted up. There's just this profound sense of, of love and of awe for all that Jesus did and does for me, and for you, and for all of us. However, sometimes we can just become numb. We become numb because we forget all that God does for us. I mean, ever since a child, you know, children here at Mass, they, they see the cross, they see that Jesus died for us, which is beautiful, and we want to have people see that. But sometimes we become numb what that really means. So sometimes we have to be shocked and not forget all that God does for us, including giving his only begotten son. And his son as well, right? The father's son, Jesus, who is God, 
giving up his life for us out of love. And when we reflect on that, it shouldn't be a reflection of guilt. It's a reflection of awe. I can't believe that God loves me that much. That he would do this for me. That he would do this for you. That he would do this for the whole world. Taking on all of the sin, all of the suffering of the world and offering himself up freely to truly be something that shocks our system. This week in our gospel passage, once again, we, we have a, a gospel passage from John. And something interesting is this happening here in, in John's gospel, which is kind of the fulfillment of, of the prophecies. Here we have it where we hear that the Greeks come looking for Jesus. Now we can also say this is the pagans coming looking for Jesus. And as soon as Jesus hears us that the Greeks are looking for him, what does he say? He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All before this, he says over and over again, my hour has not yet come. We see this in other scripture passages as well, not even from John, but other gospel writers as well. We can think of the wedding feast at Cana when Mary asked Jesus, help out this bride and groom. What does he say? My hour has not yet come. But as soon as the pagans come looking for him, he says the hour has come. Why? Because all the prophecies in the Old Testament say it's not only the Son of Man coming for the Israelites, but for the whole world. He comes for everyone. And so as they are there, he now says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what does he say right after that? He says... Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Who is that grain of wheat, by the way, that dies? It's Jesus who dies for us. And we can also see that analogy, it's real quick in there as well, that grain of wheat bears much fruit. We see that in the Eucharist as well that we're able to receive him because he died for us. But he knows now that his hour has come. And so ever since then, in John's gospel, we've seen this other gospel passages as well, they're scripture writers, there's always that turn towards Jerusalem. There's that turn towards the cross. We're going to hear about that next week in, in the Passionate Council. Next week's homily much short. So I want to expand on that a little bit. Jesus knows what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to be lifted up on the cross for us. And he does it. Why? Because he loves us. And he'll do anything for us. We call the mind John chapter 14 or 15, wherever it's in there, where it states, you know, what great sign of a friendship is it when one will lay down his life for a friend? There is no greater love than this. And this is what Jesus does for us. He lays down his life 
so that we may be lifted up eternally. We hear about this as well today in John, uh, you know, chapter 12, verse 30, 31 here, 32. This now is the time of judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And see, when Jesus is on the cross, what he's doing is an exorcism. An exorcism over sin and death. He's casting that out. He's driving out the ruler of the world. He's driving out sin. He's driving out the demon so that we may have eternal life. And he does it in the most humiliating way possible. He takes up the cross. He's crucified for us. And on there, he's mocked. He's ridiculed. He's spat upon. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do because he wants us to experience this great love. Let's never go grow numb to God's love. We need to reflect on it and truly be awe-stricken that he loves us that much in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, and all the times that we have turned away from him, he says, I still love you. And I will do anything for you. And so as we look upon the cross, let's see a God who is full of love. And in turn, what we are called to do, we know, when we experience that love, is to give that love back. Not out of this sense of service or this sense of obligation, just out of this sense of pure love back to him, knowing that he loves us even to the point of death.